We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to a special edition of the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Today, we have Sweeney Murdy on the podcast. We teased it on Monday's episode, but I spoke with him on Friday afternoon for almost 40 minutes, and it was a pretty awesome conversation. I really enjoyed it. When we get different members of the media on or, or players or whoever it might be, any, any sort of guest, you know, we usually tell them, 20 minutes. Sometimes the conversations go 20 minutes. That's what the the person who is joining us uh, you know, wants to do, and that's what they give us, and great. And other times it goes much longer, and this was an example of one that went much longer because the conversation with Sweeney just kept going, and it, it was a really fun conversation. We talked about what the Yankees have done this offseason, Hal Steinbrenner, if he's you know, this sort of perception that the Yankees are being cheap this offseason among some fans who just want them to go out and give half a billion dollars to Machado and Bryce Harper. 
and also uh, MLB free agency in general and why those two big superstars are still unsigned and the Hall of Fame. Got Sweeney's thoughts on the Hall of Fame. Moose and Moe being um, elected to the Hall of Fame in, a, in addition to some of the steroid guys like Bonds and Clemens who are still hovering around that 60% mark. So again, a really fun conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, before we get to Sweeney, though, just want to take a minute to remind you guys to give us a rating and review in iTunes. We say it quite often, but we really do mean mean it when we say it is really important if you guys show us support through through giving us a rating and review, um, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, wherever it is you're listening to us. So take a second. If you enjoy the show, quick five-star review. Write something, something witty, something uh, roast us if you'd like to, uh, as long as it's five stars. All right. Enjoy the conversation with Sweeney. Started with nothing, really. I was dreaming, sleeping, really. Had a different theory, then I started thinking clearly. Joining me on the podcast now is Sweeney Murdy. He has been on the show. Uh, he was on the show about a year ago. So Sweeney, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I want to talk about a lot of the stuff going on this offseason with the Yankees, all the players they brought in. But one topic I wanted to uh, discuss with you, and it's something that Scott and I have sort of been uh, bouncing back and forth all offseason as we've seen the baseball news reporting cycle kind of go out of control. I don't know if you agree with me, but some of the stuff being reported, especially on Twitter, it seems like everybody just wants to be the first. And a lot of times that means they're incorrect. And especially with a lot of the stuff on Machado linked to the Yankees. I just wanted to get your thoughts about um, that whole aspect of the offseason. Well, it's not easy. Um, you know, I tell people a lot of times that the off season is harder to cover than the regular season because, you know, the season, they print a schedule of the games. They tell me where it is and what time it starts. They want me to know that information. Right. The stuff that happens in the off season, they don't want us to know how it's going, you know, and, you know, there's lots of reasons for that. It's not that they're trying to keep the, the fans in the dark completely, but they're, they're negotiating tactics, uh, so they, uh, in order to strike the best deals for themselves, they need to not let the whole world in on everything that's going on. So it makes it harder to cover. So when reporters, myself, others, when we're looking to try to get pieces of information, we're trying to get as much as we can from the people that are involved and the people that know the people involved or talk to the people involved and just get a little, a little bit of uh, information moving in the right direction. Um, you know, it, and it, listen, at times it can feel like a giant game of telephone because it, you sometimes you just don't know. And it's always changing is the thing. What, what might be true at the moment you heard it might not be true an hour later or a day later or whatever. So it's, um, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't like it characterized as people making stuff up or throwing something against the wall to see if it sticks. I think all the, the credible uh, news outlets and the reporters for those outlets, we all have people that we talk to to try to move a story along, and we get whatever information we can get, and it's never always going to be the full piece of the full puzzle put together. Um, and as I said, sometimes it changes along the way. So... Um, it's really difficult uh, waters to navigate sometimes. 
And yeah, I think everybody would tell you that they want to be first, but they want to be right beyond that. I mean, being first and wrong is incredibly embarrassing. Um, and it's one of the things that drives you know, me and many of my colleagues uh, crazy. We, I mean, it would, it, it bothers us when we are wrong about something. So being first and wrong isn't a combination we're trying to, to achieve. Um, you know, being first and right is the best case scenario, but, um, you know, only one person can really do that, I guess. Right. Uh, I could imagine though, like you, if, if a source has misinformation and you put out the wrong information, that must eat you up inside because people are relying on you to provide information. So, so I totally well, understand yeah. where, where that, and it's, and it's, you're in for us. I'm sorry. Your, you know, your information is really just, it's, it's based on how much you trust the person that told you. You know, right. that they are A, telling you the truth and B, telling it to you without agenda um, and that it's, you know, that it's okay to to report that as, as some sort of fact or some level of fact. Um, it's not, like I said, it's not easy and um, some people are better at it than others. And, uh, you know, I have great envy for the ones who uh, have figured out how to do it better than the rest of us. Uh, it's, um, it's not, like I said, it's just not an easy thing to do. And, um, you know, we all just kind of do the best we can. Well, I think one problem that we've seen recently is that you have your non-reputable people on Twitter who have a platform because they've gained a following, even if it's just a couple thousand people. And they are, like you said earlier, literally throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. And well, that and is I, mixed I with the actual reporting. Either. Yeah. I don't know it to be true either, but I, I just know that, you know, if, if your job is mine or Ken Rosenthal's or Jeff Passon's or Mark Feinstein or anybody else that, you know, John Heyman and, uh, Bob Nightingale, I mean, we know this is what we do for a living. So this is what we're trying to accomplish. Um, if you don't work for an outlet, if you're, if your outlet is simply a Twitter handle, I'm not putting you down, but I, I don't know what your what your um, job is, you know, I don't, you know, I mean, we're doing this because this is their job. Right. I'm not doing this for fun. You know, I mean, if this wasn't my job, I would do something else with my time and I'm <laughs> Just sure the because... rest of the guys would too. So I don't know what your access is because, you know, when the people who are in, in my position and others, we have access to certain people. They don't always tell us things. Maybe they don't always tell us the truth, but you know, they're, they're, people that are involved in the process that we have access to. Um, I can't, I can't vouch for any of the people who don't actually work for a news outlet because I don't know who they are, what they do. I don't doubt that sometimes they know people or, you know, there are times that they might have good information. And at the end of the day, you tip your cap to them. But, you know, I don't, if Ken Rosenthal reports something, I don't find a great need to confirm what he reported. You know, I'm, I'm pretty much aware of who he is, who he works for, what he does, and that if he's reporting it, it's it's pretty good. But if it's somebody that doesn't work for an outlet or a um, uh, maybe more of a mainstream one that that has somewhat of a track record for getting information like this, then those are the kinds of things you have to check out a little bit more. Right, and like you said, the the accuracy of the information is more important than the 
the quickness of it. But I think, you know, what we saw happen with Machado, and he's still out there in the free agent market. Harper's still out there in the free agent market. Those are two of the biggest names to ever hit free agency, and people want them to sign. They want the Yankees to be in on those players. So I think what we saw with Machado and some false reports or maybe just some misinformation is they gained so much steam because people wanted it to happen. Well, and the fact that it just keeps playing out longer, you know, the longer it plays out, and listen, and I've, and I've said this many times on uh, many uh, outlets, I won't ever believe the Yankees are out on a player like Machado or Harper until that player is holding up another team's jersey, uh, standing at a podium and announcing that they've signed with some other team. Uh, that's just the reality of who the Yankees are. And, and, and I think you see that play out in the way the, the, the process of the offer, just the, way the, just the way Machado's process has played out. You know, the Yankees are not out, uh, and they can't ever really be until he is signed somewhere else. This is, it's taken ridiculously long. I think it's now, what, 13 weeks since the World Series ended. Uh, spring training starts in two weeks, and, you know, you have two of the biggest stars to ever hit free agency. Uh, uh, still out there and available and you know it's it's unique situation to baseball because the other sports their free agencies are different because they're salary cap leagues their free agency is structured differently i mean you have to take the money the day it's offered because if you don't it's going to be gone tomorrow um that's it's a much different there's there are no deadlines of any kind here um and it plays out much differently so uh, that's a that's a much different factor that baseball has uh, has to deal with that the other sports uh, don't feature. So um, it's you know NFL free agency, NBA free agency. You know, on day one, all these people are signing because if you don't, you're going to get less money next week. Oh yeah, and, and they're that, on planes immediately, flying to the next meetings. It's yeah. all happening within the first 24 hours. Do you think MLB exactly. free agency would benefit from some sort of deadline? Uh, benefit? Well, benefits who? I mean, would it benefit us, the fans? Well, I mean, obviously yeah, they're not going to—they're not going to do any sort of thing to benefit the fans when it's coming down to dollars and cents for the players. But, but right Correct. now, right now, the players are not being benefited. And I know there's a lot of talk about a potential strike in the next few years because you're not getting the same spending by teams for free agents. And on, Harper and Machado are weird situations because. I don't understand why they're not getting signed. They're 26, 27 years old in the prime of their career. But I can objectively understand why Dallas Keuchel's not getting a five-year contract. So, right. so, I mean, they just don't want to pay a player deep into his 30s. I understand that from a team business perspective. But you're also seeing it happen with Harper and Machado. And frankly, I did not expect that to happen. I expected them both to get 10-year contracts. I think one of the biggest part of the problem is that, you know, and when I say problem, I mean for the players or for the fans trying to watch it, there, there doesn't appear to be any such thing as emotional buying anymore. You know, every team has uh, a loaded analytics department, you know, to different degrees, whether it's, you know, a handful of guys or 20 guys, I mean, t- to different degrees, your, your front office is built of people who are building statistical models to predict the player's performance in the coming years and try to pay him off of that, not base his salary on what he did the last five years for his other team. And when you're building uh, your front offices like this with fewer former players and more business minds in those positions, there's, there's a formula to buying. 
It's not emotional buying. I had an agent tell me, you know, this is not unlike selling, buying and selling stocks. You know, you don't get emotional when you do that. You set a number and you say, if it's at this price, you buy, if it's this price, you sell. And that's, you know, not exactly, but it's kind of a formula that people are setting in baseball now. And that's where the over 30 players are not benefiting from it. Uh, and that's it, it's free agency is still set up such that most of the players who hit free agency are those that age level players. Right. I mean, you're talking about a guy, if you're 18 or 21 when you're drafted, that means, you know, regular minor league, uh, career arc then you're 23 or 26 when you're making the majors you know 23 24 25 something like that six full service years not six years from your debut until you hit free agency and now you're talking about you know roughly 30 years old so by that uh model i guess free agency is broken but it's it appears to be a correction that has to be negotiated through before you can fix it Totally agree. And the players were never going to complain 10 years ago because you would hit free agency at 31 and still get mega million, you know, mega contracts and it was fine. But now they're just not getting it. And I also think it's partially because teams are starting to realize that they're the winning players are, are in different positions. I mean, relief pitching is such an importance in the game now. A ton of relievers got signed pretty quickly. The Yankees signed two more relief pitchers. Robertson got a contract. Joe Kelly, all these guys got contracts. But these other, some other bigger players, aging starters, uh, aging outfielders or something like that, just aren't getting signed. Um, so I think also the, the positions that they're valuing might be changing a little bit. And it's hard to figure out because um, the exact formula for it, I mean, but the war is, is a good number to look at, but it's, it's not the end all with teams who have a lot of their own um, – proprietary information to look at, but, you know, going back to Harper and Machado, I think you look at, look at the, uh, look at Harper's seasons and look at his, uh, his war. He had one super phenomenal season three years ago, one other really good season. And the other is probably not in the range of a player who is, if you're expecting to pay him $30 million, you're probably not getting, um, the same value compared to what else is on the market or what else you have available to you. And I think that's part of the problem uh, as far as you know, not having a player like that side. I mean, listen, I'm a, I'm a fan of what Bryce Harper can, can still be over the course of the next 10 years. I think it's a, I, I think he's a phenomenal talent, but if you're building statistical models based on what he's already done and what he's going to do, then maybe it doesn't equate to what the emotional side of you says he's going to do or might be. And that's why you're sitting here trying to figure out where the numbers are. Right. To use your stock analogy, it could pay off huge or, or you could, you could be in debt. So, yeah. Um, mm. And it, right now with the way that the Yankees have approached the off season, I think they've done a great job of improving the team. And it annoys me. It annoys my my co-host Scott when fans sit there and say, just because they didn't sign Machado or Harper yet, they haven't done enough to improve the team. You add Hap for a full season, trade for Paxton, DJ LeMahieu, Adovino, and re-sign Britain. I think they've done a lot to improve the team. But I don't really see how they could sign Machado or Harper at this point. 
I know you said they're not out until it's never over till it's over, but assuming things go the way we think they are, would you be surprised they don't sign those guys? I, I don't know if I'd say surprised one way or the other here, but there's, there's room to make either of those if you have other moves to make after that. And, and that's what is, is really, I mean, could they go to spring training with the roster as it is right now? Yeah, probably. Um, but if you have the, you know, so one of the things that Brian Cashman says is that, you know, he, you know, he says his job and he tells players this, my job is to always find your replacement. No matter how good the player is, his job is to always look for the player that's better than the one he has. Um, or a roster that's better than the one he has. So, you know, using that philosophy, I mean, you have to constantly think about tinkering. Okay, could I sign Machado and then trade this player here, move this player there, uh, and get this back and and make that roster? Does that make better sense? Or you know, it, you know, just as an example. And these are the kinds of things you're looking at, and obviously the price uh, tag plays a plays a factor in that. So, um, I think they've made improvements. I think that you know they still have a really good bullpen. Obviously, um, the you, as you said, and I think people are failing to put this really into the proper perspective. Happ and Paxton to start the season in the rotation is a lot different than what the Yankees had last year. So I think that you have to uh, count that as a rotation upgrade. And I don't know what to expect yet from the infield. I don't know that picture is complete yet. That's the part that is still really kind of uh, fuzzy to me. But Well, the DD injury the throws side, a wrench in everything. Yes, completely. From the pitching side, they've made improvements. You know they still have a really good offense Um and potential bounce backs from some players, including Gary Sanchez, that make you look at this team and say, okay, last year I thought they were probably easily a 95-win team. They ended up winning 100. Okay? Uh, if I use 95 as a baseline again, I, you know, I think that was a Vegas line I just saw recently. I, 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 I can't argue with that. I mean, that's a, that's a decent that's – a, that's, a, that's a really good number to put on a team, and I – you know, based on the rest of the division, the league, and all that stuff, I'd say, yeah, I could see that being a, a really good number. Um, and that's nothing to sneeze at. So you kind of have to wait to see the way the rest of the pieces fall together. You're right, Didi, things like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would say that they have, they have assembled a better rotation to start this season than they did last year. Um, they, I think they... For some reason, like the Adam Warren role is still one I'm kind of hung up on here, trying to figure out where there's another multi-inning spot or just if there's enough innings covered by the staff right now. Um, so I'm not sure that picture is complete yet. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they've gotten worse. And, I mean, they won 100 games last year. And I think 100 games was where they should have been, considering they had some, you know, Gary Sanchez had a terrible year, especially for what we expected out of Gary Sanchez. Aaron Judge missed a lot of time. But then you also got unexpected performances like Miguel Andujar's offensive season and Glaber Torres' season. So it, I think in the end, it all balanced out and 100 wins is where they should have been. Yeah, and I think if you look, I mean, they've made a The other thing about like, you know, why aren't they... I made a point about this a couple of weeks ago in a column I wrote, you know, and thinking about the reasons why 
the Yankees haven't or might not sign Manny Machado or Bryce Harper or both in some crazy world, right? I mean, we've seen the Yankees go on spending sprees before. You know, they signed CC Sabathia, AJ Burnett, and Mark Teixeira in the same offseason. They signed Brian McCann, Carlos Beltran, Jacoby Ellsbury, Masio Tanaka in the same offseason. Um, so it's not a reasonable thing because they go out there and spend a boatload of money all at once on multiple players. But those two off seasons, what they had in common was missing the playoffs. And um, this time you're talking about a team that has made a climb from 91 wins to 100 wins and is you know, still has a, a really good core of players here that you don't need to replace the full core of. And I think that's what is the major difference here. You know, I, I referred to it as maybe not being as desperate um, I don't know if that's the right choice of words or not. It's what I used. But um, I feel like there's a different sense of what this roster looks like now compared to what it looked like after the 2008 season, after the 2013 season, when they felt their only path to making a big enough improvement because the season was not good enough the year before was to make these big free agent expenditures. The team, and I know, and listen, I, and I hear, I don't want you, Andrew, or any other fans sit there and say, but they, but they didn't make it out of the first round. They didn't win the World Series. I hear all that, but that's not how, that's different than trying to build the team roster for the 162 game season and what you're putting together. The last thing is they've lost the eventual World Series champions. Um, so they still have to improve because. I don't remember the last time the Yankees lost to a team that they were better than, you know, that they were supposed to beat. It's been a while. Um, but they are, I, I, you know, roundabout way to, to this point, I don't think that they felt their best chances to improve this team was to spend $500 million on the free agent market. And I agree with you. I, I've said all offseason I would – love Manny Machado in pinstripes, but I don't think that he's a must sign. Mm -hmm. And I think that 2013 offseason is exhibit A, why they might not be doing it because they passed on Cano getting 10 years and look where the Mariners wound up with that. And in turn, they gave Jacoby Ellsbury seven years and that's been a disaster too. So, I mean, I understand why Hal Steinbrenner is not saying, yeah, ink them to whatever contract they, they, that we can give them. And I, you know, and it's kind of laughable when you think about calling Hal Steinbrenner cheap, which I hear fans do all the time. You know, the payroll is what it is. Now, I get that the Yankees make more money than other teams, and would it be would it make a dent to them if they spent fifty million dollars more? No, probably not. But this is how they've chosen to play the game. Um, I, I look at, uh, I, I just look at what they're trying to build. And Hal has, Hal has this sense, and he's mentioned it many times, he doesn't think you have to spend $200 million to win a World Series, which up until last year, the, you know, plenty of teams didn't do that. And the Red Sox did. Um, and so we've seen him go over his limits when, when he felt necessary, like those years I mentioned. Um, but he does look at other teams' ability to, uh, to build a roster with good players and, um, and see it not have to cost as much as, you know, maybe it might cost them otherwise. Uh, it's, it's still a 
you know, and, and I, I get, I get why that would frustrate fans because you're talking about being the Yankees and why we, you make X amount of dollars more than every other team. Why wouldn't you spend X amount of dollars? more? Okay. I get that. They, you know, for whatever reason, they're not doing that. Um, and I think part of the reason is that the overages on the tax help subsidize the competition and the Tampa Bay Rays help take Yankees money and beat the Yankees with it. So it's, you know, in, in one aspect of it, it's less about putting it in your own pocket than it is about trying to help your next door neighbor, you know, have a better lawn than you with your money. So, um, I, I, I think that is a, I've been told that that is something that they definitely are aware of, that that is something that they, that they have focused attention on, that they are subsidizing their competition when they go over those tax thresholds. And, and that's one, one portion of the uh, thought process. And they also agreed to take on Stanton's 10 year contract. Mm-hmm. seems like people have a short memory on that. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And every, I mean, they're still locked into a lot of guys for a lot of, for a lot of big money. And there's also going to be some guys coming down the line who are going to need to be paid. Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, Severino, and then further out, Glaber Torres, if Andujar's still on the roster. Do you see what's happening now in free agency possibly factoring into them agreeing on extensions with those players rather than letting those players wanting to hit free agency maybe? Could we see more younger players signing extensions to get the money they might not see down the line? I, I think each case is different. Um, it's not, you know, years ago in a much different economy and system, the Cleveland Indians did that with a bunch of their young stars. And it helped keep their team together for a couple of World Series runs. Um, but I, it, it was a different team, a different market, a different economy, it, uh, everything about it. So I I don't. The Yankees haven't made that part of their part of their game plan really ever. I mean, they went right up to free agency with with uh, they went up to a year away from free agency with Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera um, before signing them to extensions. So, in special cases, they went ahead and did that, but they got through some arbitration years before they did that. So, I think we're going to end up seeing these guys go. The first three guys you mentioned, Judge. Severino and Sanchez last season, they cost the Yankees less than $2 million in the 2020 season. They're probably going to cost them more than $20 million. So there is money, you know, I don't think you have to save it necessarily, but you have to know that it's going to be spent next year on those guys, that there is going to be money spent on those people. So I, yeah, I get the objection to, you know, trying to save it for them. I don't think that's, I don't think that's really the issue, but you're going to find a time when, paying those guys becomes a bigger issue. Yeah, and before we let you go, I just want to get your thoughts on what happened this week with the Hall of Fame. Uh, Mariano, first 100% unanimous vote getter. Are you surprised that it was him that was the first, or are you more surprised that it actually finally happened, that all of the writers agreed this guy's a Hall of Famer? I mean, I I guess, yes, I'm surprised, because, you know, why wouldn't 100% of the people vote for Babe Ruth or Hank Aaron or Willie Mays, you know, I mean... Or Griffey Jr. a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, 30 or 40 guys you could name and say, what's the objection here again? And, um, you know, so I I guess the the movement um, and and the social aspect of it, the social media aspect of it... um, We've come just come to a different 
point in time where it would be really hard for somebody to hide behind their ballot in which they didn't vote for a particular player uh, like Mariano, uh, and it would be hard to justify why they wouldn't vote for him. So, um, and even the guy who, you know, Bill Ballou, who got everybody in an uproar because he wasn't going to turn in the ballot because he didn't think he, the closer yeah. deserved to be voted on. He voted he, for him. <laughs> He voted for him. He changed his mind. I mean, no, that was the most obvious clickbaiting thing ever when he wrote that initial article. Well, listen, I, I don't know him. I would like to, but he's been in this business for a long time. I would like to think he had earnest intentions of this is why I'm not going to send in a ballot. Um, and, and had every intention to, to do it that way. But when it became what it became... You know, then listen. I get clickbait, but do you really want clickbait when everyone's calling you a moron? I mean, I I don't. I, I don't. <laughs> but the Worcester know, so Telegram I, I, might need it. I don't. But I don't. But I, I don't get the motivation for that. I mean, listen. He's been there for a really long time. That the, the Worcester Telegram has been in business for a long time. Okay, I, I I'm not sure that you know if you know. You're talking about, it's just about the integrity of the of, of, of being a, a reporter and being a baseball reporter for a long time and and having that privilege of voting for the Hall of Fame. You know, I, I hate to think that that is part of an agenda to you know further further your own importance. I agree. Again, I don't know Bill. I don't know Bill. So I, I I'd like to think that there's something earnest about the idea that you know what I'm just this is just isn't what I believe. So. Let me tell you why, and I'm not going to hold it against him because I'm not sending in a ballot. Well, he got slammed by everybody, and I, I understand why. And they ended up sending a ballot with Mariano's name on it anyway. So I think the whole idea has become, yeah, you know, you don't want to be the guy who tries to explain why you didn't vote for the, the most obvious candidate. And while there had been a couple of dozen others that could have been that guy, Okay, it's Mariano. Terrific. We don't have to live by that standard anymore where, well, nobody was, this guy wasn't unanimous, so why should this guy be? It's no longer part of the equation, and um, I don't think anybody would argue with Mariano being unanimous, whether he was the first guy or the 50th guy. It's just unfortunate, though, because we've seen this happen in the past with writers and using the Hall of Fame ballot to gain publicity or do a stunt like Dan Lebertard opening it up to the public and he was going to auction off his ballot. Didn't he do that a couple years ago? And obviously now he's stripped of his voting rights. But you get these. Yeah. This is like the time when the when a lot of people use the Hall of Fame ballot because people love it. People are so passionate about the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame more so than any other sport. So they use it as a chance to Gain a little notoriety. Well, I, listen, but I don't think that's why they do it. I mean, I think, you know, the guys I know, they have votes, and printing their ballot for people is, is just, it's generating a story because that's, that's your story. I don't think it's generating a story for the sake of, okay, look at me, here's my ballot. It's, it, it, you know, you have, when you have to fill space every day, Okay, here's one day's worth of space. Here's my Hall of Fame ballot, and I, and I, I really think that's the way a lot of people will look at it, and they kind of cringe at some of the criticism that comes their way after that. I mean, you're prepared for it and you deal with it, but like, I don't think. I, listen, I could be wrong. Maybe there's somebody out there who does it this way, but I just don't think 
that printing your Hall of Fame ballot, making it that day's column or that day's story for your outlet is your way of creating buzz. To me, it's your way of creating today's column. Yeah. And I'm happy that Mariano got 100%. If for any reason, it just means that we can get rid of that notion that nobody will be 100%. There's certain guys that just right. are clear-cut Hall of Famers. Guys right. in the past should have been, but hopefully now we can just erase that um, and, and move forward with it. And I also heard, uh, I just want to know, do you have any information on, Mariano mentioned um, he's going to be working with Yankees pitchers in the future. Do you have any information on that? Yeah, I, no, I think he mentioned that yesterday in an interview. And um, I, he's been at spring training, I think, in years past for a couple of days here and there. And when he says that, like, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't envision this being a full-time job where he's bouncing from, uh, Pulaski to Tampa to yeah, he's not Charleston. riding the bus with these guys. <laughs> no, no, I I think it's I I think the idea is to to find a place where he can maybe you know meet with some of the some of the um, uh, a group of pitching prospects um, and and talk to them about about that. But I don't I don't envision this being like a full time. You know, he's he's breaking down video every night of of the all the minor league affiliates and then talking to each individual starter. I mean, that's, you know, I think that's a little beyond that, but yeah, as, as many players do, they come in, in, in short bursts and enter the organization to share some of the wisdom. And I'm sure plenty of people would benefit from hearing Mariano Rivera tell them anything about pitching. Yeah, everyone's going to be throwing cutters now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I used the analogy yesterday. You know, Don Drysdale showed uh, Greg Brady how to hold his slider, and it didn't help Greg Brady at all. I don't know if you're old enough to get that reference, but it's um, uh, just telling them to throw a cutter doesn't really, you know, everything's a big deal. He told Roy Halladay to throw a cutter. Well, yeah, Roy Halladay yeah. was great. <laughs> Roy Halladay you know? knew what he was, he was doing. Already, Roy Halladay was awesome, and and then he just refine something because of a conversation with Mariano. Well, you, know, you do hear you know, stories. Listen, I, I, I've never met you, Andrew, but I'm pretty sure if you or I were sitting in a room, Mariano told us how to throw a cutter. I don't think we'd get very far with it. No, maybe in wiffle ball, but that's about it. Um, <laughs> and well, but I, I remember a story uh, that Kurt Schilling credited Roger Clemens for his cutter. Yeah. So certain times well, like guys can help each other out and, and help extend a career possibly because Schilling credits I, the splitter to his later later year success. More than splitter, what the famous story is that Roger Clemens in a uh, Houston area weight room told Kurt Schilling to stop messing around and you know use your talent, and um, that was uh, sometime in the early nineties, I think, after when Schilling was an Astro, and. Uh, it's it's a story I've heard Schilling told be, tell before. Some of the details escape me now, but that was more of a listen. You've got real talent. Stop stop being so stupid and and do something with it. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that was probably that probably did a lot more than than showing him how to hold a split finger fast. <laughs> right, right. There's plenty of guys who could have done that. Should uh, Last question. I, I know we've uh, kept you for a long time. Should Bonds and mm -hmm. Clemens be Hall of Famers? I, you know what? If 75% of the people vote for them being in the Hall of Fame, then they should be Hall of Famers. If they don't, then, then no. Um, I, I've, I don't know. 
I, I don't have a great feel for where I want to stand on this because I've kind of gone back and forth on it. I don't have a vote, so I don't have to hold their future in my hands and, and give it that same kind of thought as the people who do vote. Um, but I'm, you know, the votes, the votes to vote and 75% is a, is an incredible threshold. You know, I, I told, I said this to the desk, and if you have a family of four, you know how hard it is to, <laughs> to get 75% approval on, on, you know, what do you want for dinner tonight? Right. You know, it's, it's really not that easy. I can, you know, it's sunny and 32 degrees or something I got today. I asked four people if they think it's a nice day out. I, I don't know that I'm going to get 75% of the, of, of the same answer. So it's a really hard number to crack. So the ones who do have really accomplished something. Um, I don't, I don't know the, if they're going to make it, but here's what I've kind of come. And it really is more recently for myself, rather than me getting on my soapbox and saying, I'm against these guys because they took steroids and they should never be in the hall of fame or, you know what? This guy was doing it. That guy was doing it. They did this. They did that. It was part of the era. Let him in. I, I'm not going to do that. If you know, the people will speak and the people will vote, you know, the, there's, there's 400 some votes that are going to be cast again next year and the year after that. And, you know, I, 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 maybe it's just recently because of some of the other uh, stuff going on with the elections, but when I hear people say, this guy's not a Hall of Famer, that guy's not a Hall of Famer, all I think of, you know who's a Hall of Famer? The guys who are in the Hall of Fame. They are Hall of Famers. That's, yes, by that's definition. Simple, yes. straight fact. Okay? You saying he's a Hall of Famer means nothing, because if he has a plaque in the Hall of Fame, guess what? He's a Hall of Famer. So, I, um, I don't know. Maybe it's just, you know, you could think what you want to think about, you know, me skirting the issue or not. No, whatever I, I, you I, get do. I get it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not ready to tell you my opinion is the one that matters because in the end it doesn't, you know, 75% of the voters are going to tell you what matters and whether you like that system or not, it's, it is the system and 80 years worth of elections tell you this is what the hall of fame is. And for people to say, well, you know, I think a Hall of Famer should be this. It doesn't matter. You know, it's it matters what 75% of the people think um, who vote. And the whole, well, I looked at him. I didn't think he was a Hall of Famer. I look at that and say, maybe this is more about you and the way you look at it, because that's not what, you know, that's not how the Hall of Fame is voted on. You vote on a player's entire career five years after it's over to see where it stacks up historically. That has nothing to do with what you thought you saw on some Saturday in 1992. Well, the issue is not going away. So that's why people keep asking. And I don't know if you saw this, but 2022 will be an interesting year because it's the last year for Bonds and Clemens. I thought about that. And I believe the first year for A-Rod and David Ortiz. And all four of those guys, in my opinion, should be in the Hall of Fame. Whether they did steroids or not, all I know is over the last two to three decades, they were the best baseball players. So I want to put them in the Hall of Fame. But I understand people who don't. Yeah, I, I understand it too. So, I mean, if, you, if you're you in a room with, you know, 40 of your friends, can you, you know, are you, do you feel confident that 30 of them are going to feel the same way you do? No. I sure don't. Yeah. So. And that and that's the thing, you know. So that's why that number is is uh, pretty incredible to reach. I mean, they they have a majority. They have 59% of the vote. I mean, if that's an election, they win in the landslide. 
it's not what this is. So I, I don't know where it ends up. Um, I, I, you know, all I know is that a Hall of Famer is who's in the Hall of Fame. And, yeah, there are certain guys, other guys, that, you know, you make the arguments all you want for guys like Don Madden, like Keith Hernandez. They were awesome players. They're terrific players. Um, you know, and, and you can discuss that and make that part of the argument. I, um, you know, it's a, it's a very unusual uh, path that you have to walk to figure out where that line is on who's a Hall of Famer and who isn't. Uh, so, you know, because someone's always going to be just this far on the other side of that line. And I don't know how you're ever going to settle that. Yep. Well, Sweeney, thanks so much for the time. Excellent stuff. And, uh, hey, say hi to John Sterling for me. Uh, will do. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate you having me. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees.